Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Each episode, we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer your kidney health questions. Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people with kidney disease discover us. We really appreciate it. Over 50% of LGBTQIA plus people have experienced some form of healthcare discrimination, and over 25% of transgender people reported being denied care simply due to their transgender status. Not having or avoiding proper healthcare due to discrimination can result in dire consequences, including an increased risk of health problems like kidney disease. What is this discrimination and how can you advocate for yourself and LGBTQIA rights? In today's episode, Dr. Joshua Wilder, a podiatrist, and Representative Jeff Curry, two kidney transplant recipients and members of the LGBTQIA community, discuss this and more. Now, on with the show. Thank you both so much for being here today. My name is Marlena Chesner. I use they, them pronouns, and I am the Digital Content Development Manager at NKF. I would love if you could both introduce yourself. Uh, I am Jeff Curry. My pronouns are he, him, uh, and I am a state representative out of Connecticut, representing the great towns of East Hartford and Manchester. My name is Josh Wilder. My pronouns are he, him. I am from Cincinnati, Ohio, but I currently am living in Atlanta, Georgia as an ankle and foot surgeon. Perfect. Thank you so much both for being here. So to get started, um, Josh, for those who may not know, could you share a little bit about your connection to kidney disease and your kidney journey? Absolutely. So I was born with um, a condition, a rare condition called prune belly syndrome or Eagle Beret syndrome, where um, in layman's terms, my urinary tract system wasn't fully developed. So the physicians and obstetricians and pediatricians didn't know anything about this. So they didn't think I was going to live past the age of five, but they knew I would either have to be on dialysis or have a kidney transplant or I wasn't going to live that long. So I was placed on a proteinless, a strict proteinless diet through age nine. And um, at nine years old, on September 10th, 1997, I received a kidney transplant from a donor who unfortunately deceased um, and have been doing relatively great ever since. Yes, actually so good that you were a contestant on Survivor, is that right? That is, that is true, yes, I was a contestant on season 44, absolutely. Now, I know you can't reveal any spoilers, but in general, did having a transplant affect you at all while you were trying to survive on the show? Yes. First of all, Survivor has been my favorite show since it came out in 2000. You know, I, I just I've always been adventurous and always wanted to do this, but I never thought I could because of my condition. You know, having medications, being sick, always being worried about dehydration and infection. That was a very, very huge thing for me. But I was at a really good spot in my life that I said, you know what, I'm going to try this. So I went and talked to my nephrologist, my my um, the general practitioner, and I asked them if I could do this. And they said, yes, you're healthy enough. You can pursue this, um, but you need to make sure you avoid any um, serious risks of infection or dehydration. And being on an island, those are very, very, very high concerns. So um, being out there, I was always thinking about that. But the doctors there took really good care of me. You know, they checked me out twice a day and um, made sure I was on track with that. But it still made a huge, huge part of me um, being out there. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, Jeff, I'm curious, could you tell us a little bit about your connection to kidney disease? Absolutely. And, and uh, first, I'll say I would uh, 
put the Connecticut legislature up against any episode of Survivor. Uh, one might say we are our own version of Survivor here in the state capitol. So, but congrats to all you're doing, Josh. Um, so uh, a few years ago, about a decade ago, I had a random bout of gout. Um, I had no idea what that was. And uh, following a couple of doctor visits, uh, it was later determined uh, that my kidneys were in question. Uh, and so we would simply go on to monitor those to see if there was going to be anything further that would need to happen. And uh, years down, uh, down the road, um, levels got to certain points where a biopsy was needed and it was determined I had IgA nephropathy and that a kidney transplant would be in my future. Um, and then uh, in 2020, so right before uh, we hit uh, the craziest part of any generation that's lived uh, currently living right now, likely, um, it was determined that I was going to need a transplant and need that quickly. Uh, and so I wound up getting my kidney transplant from one of my very best friends on January 5th of 2021. Oh, thank you both so much for sharing that and congratulations on your transplants. Thank you. So Jeff, with anti-LGBTQIA plus particularly anti-trans legislation being introduced and in some cases passed um, in the country. What are you doing to counteract the situation? Yes, yeah, so fortunately I live and represent the state of Connecticut and we are a very safe space, a very progressive state in the nation. Uh, that's not to say that we don't have pockets that we like we, that we often refer to as the up south uh, in which a few of my colleagues uh, would like to go the same direction that we see with some of these anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ uh, states go. A few years back, the Connecticut legislature was the first in the nation to statutorily create an LGBTQ health and human services network. And what that did was essentially put all of our queer organizations around one table to see how we could best come at all of the things impacting um, our community. Uh, we had and completed our first statewide needs assessment in partnership with Yale University. And, you know, the results of that were nothing that any of us were surprised about. Um, but what it did, it was better informed all of the colleagues besides the four of us in our small but mighty caucus uh, of everything that was going on within our community that we were very well aware of. Um, we also have seen um, proposals from various legislators on anti-trans uh, pieces, whether that's the sports um, in high schools, which is a huge thing in Connecticut. Uh, the lawsuit uh, originated here, um, and luckily we have prevailed our side on this. Um, high school sports is simply an extension of the opportunity that are provided in the high schools. I'll just say that, put it out there, and make sure everybody hears that clearly. Um, but I have the uh, ability, I sit as the uh, chair of the education committee uh, in the state legislature. And so when these proposals come forward, they simply hit the trash. I have zero interest in even having public hearings on this because what people often forget is that we are talking about children most often. And it's typically the parents who have the loudest voice and who aren't always speaking for those children. Granted, their parents get to cast a ballot whether I return or not. Those children don't. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I, I speak on behalf of them. And people often forget that when we're having these conversations and children hear this. And if we continue to go that route that the other's doing, we're simply proving statistics, making statistics even worse when it comes to our teen suicide, ideation rates, all that sorts of stuff, uh, and just kind of helping our, our colleagues to better understand what all of that means uh, and, and hopefully kind of continue to push all of those off so that we don't have to have those conversations and we're simply just providing more 
for everyone. Wonderful. I just want to, as a member of the community, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in these spaces. It's incredibly important. And I was wondering if you could give some tips for people who may be interested in kind of fighting these bills. Um, yeah, find your local organization who is attached to these issues. But even before that, just speak up. Don't wait for permission. Everybody's waiting for permission these days to be able to say something. Use your voice. Use it loudly. Social media, as terrible as it often is, is a great way to get it out there um, on your own without having to rely on anyone else. But there's a number of organizations in a variety of states that can really help tell your messaging and get you kind of in the doors where others aren't able to. Awesome. That's some great advice. Now, Joshua, you're also a surgeon who has published articles on the disparities in healthcare affecting the LGBTQ plus community, along with ways that healthcare providers can improve treatment and care for this community. What are some of the top challenges that you see facing the LGBTQ plus community in healthcare these days? So I'd say roughly 25 to 30% of my patients are of the LGBTQI plus community. And I'm just gonna generalize um, the LGBTQI plus community and just say queer, just to involve mm -hmm. all of um, those who are involved in that um, situation. And I would say um, the biggest thing is discrimination. Roughly 16% of individuals who are queer have had some form of discrimination when they went to the doctor's office, be it just someone looking at them funny or talking behind their backs or just kind of giving them rude um, ideations or speaking to them poorly. And with that, once you get that from that aspect, from the healthcare system, you already get it from other avenues, you know, when you're out on the street or you see um, somebody in your religion or sometimes your family. So when you get it from the healthcare um, network, or you're trying to get help from someone, it just really discourages you. And especially in our youths, you know, they will use that and turn it and use that situation and kind of um, turn it into like uh, something else. So they would use like, in it increases our risk of, it increases their risk of violence, mental disorders, um, suicide ideation, substance abuse. Um, so that whole thing, we have to change how the healthcare system acts to queers and those who are identified that way. And um, sorry if I'm kind of going off on a tangent. It's just, it's really a, a, a lot for me because I am a part of the LGBTQ plus uh, community. So once I see someone who is queer and comes to me and tells me, you know, I went to this doctor, didn't get what I wanted. They weren't listening to me. They blew me off. They turn around and they go and smoke cigarettes or drink because they turn that negative situation and they just want to get rid of it because they don't feel that they're a part of anything. You know, the queer community is looked at as pariahs or someone who's different and, you know, and living in a heteronormative world, it's just it's it's it turns those who are looking for help in the healthcare community and it just makes them feel like they're nothing. Yeah, I'll actually share a little experience. I had um, the first time I told a nurse and my healthcare provider that I use they, them, they literally said, who cares? And, you know, I know this is something that a lot of people face and you're right, there's a lot going on in the world. And then to go to a healthcare provider, someone that you should be able to trust and get that toward, sort of react, reaction, it really hurts. So Josh, could you give some patients some tips or advice as to what they could do, you know, to kind of make that experience better for themselves? 
Absolutely. So I always tell patients, call your insurance company and ask, hey, I'm a queer individual. I identify as lesbian, bisexual, transgender, etc. Is there anyone in my network who covers this? Or look on look online. There are plenty of avenues where you can search those who are in that community or talk to your friends who have gone to um, different healthcare providers who are open and willing to treat those who are in the queer community. Um, for me in my personal office, I have a little like a uh, sticker, a rainbow sticker that is put on the outside of my door. And that goes a long way. If you see that you're included and in just that little sign, um, you will get people coming to the door and they will, they will recommend people. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Um, so ask your friends, call your insurance company, look online for sure. Awesome. That's perfect. And Jeff, I'm wondering, have you done any work around kidney disease care in Connecticut? Uh, yes. So following the transplant um, and also uh, following the president of the Senate also had a transplant a couple of years before uh, I had mine, uh, we are standing up a council uh, that is hopefully going to take a kind of a deep dive into um, all things kidney disease uh, to see how we may better partner with our healthcare providers um, and with other experts to kind of get ahead of everything as much as we possibly can. Um, I mean, in certain instances, such as myself, it, we're, all the care in the world wasn't going to change my scenario. I was going to need that transplant. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a number of, of avenues that folks can take to hopefully delay and just ensure that they're staying the healthiest that they can possibly be. So uh, we hope to stand that council up and really hopefully be able to get some, uh, some good work and recommendations policy-wise out of that as well. Oh, that's great to hear. And I hope that, you know, states across the country continue to work with uh, people who are trying to stop or slow the progression of kidney disease. It's such a big problem. Um, so, Joshua, I was wondering if you had any tips for other healthcare providers who are interested in kind of having a more inclusive care. Oh, absolutely. So I did write an article about this, strategies for healthcare providers to further include those who are in the LGBTQ, LGBTQI plus community. And one of the major ones I've already discussed, just putting a little symbol, even if it's like a um, purple triangle or a rainbow sticker just on your door outside of your office, that a lot of people see that. Um, another thing is, you know, educating yourself. There are plenty of resources online and um, classes and different um, seminars just to teach you as a healthcare provider um, how to be more inclusive. Have open-ended discussions with individuals. Don't say, don't, don't directly assume that someone goes by he, him, um, she, her. Ask, what are your pronouns? That goes a long way. Saying patient, not he, not she. Just having open-ended questions and letting your patients talk to you and tell them what's wrong and not assuming, just like your experience, like it doesn't matter. What do you mean? You can't tell, you can't talk to patients that way. This is not how that works. Have open-ended questions, let your patients talk to you. Um, and then just, just be knowledgeable. We're in a different age, inclusion matters. Mm -hmm. So I, I always try to advocate for the queer community and talk to my colleagues and tell them like, listen, you should be looking at this. Here's my article. Take a picture of this QR code. It takes you straight to my article. And it, it's from my standpoint and talking to my colleagues, it's gone a long way in the past three years since I've written this. Yeah. And I'm wondering if either of you had experienced some sort of adversity relating to your you know, sexual identity or gender um, in healthcare yourselves. 
Um, I personally have not. Um, I have been gay since the day I came out of the womb. And so, you know, every medical provider that I've had has been kind of a lifetime medical provider and has seen me grow into who I am today and continue to be. Um, so I am one of the fortunate uh, folks who, who did not experience that. But I think that also helps me to inform and to know that that should be the norm. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be the exception. And so that's kind of why we do a lot of the work that we get to do. Um, I asked that. That's great, Jeff. I'm glad you didn't, but I definitely have, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. growing up, I was always in and out of the hospital because I was born with a um, kidney disorder. Um, so, and when I didn't even know if I was gay or not yet, you know, I just had feminine characteristics. And I remember being 12 and going to the doctor's office, kind of one of the first times by myself and really talking to my physician at the time, my pediatrician and telling him like, Hey, you know, I think I'm, I might be feeling differently. And I just remember his whole attitude change and he just completely locked me off. And then when I left that doctor's appointment, I remember the nurse is just kind of looking at me and whispering. And so I do have that experience of discrimination. And even if it was passive, you can still feel it. And so having those feelings, I identify and I can feel for those who do have issues with going to the physician and being afraid of having that feeling. Absolutely. And did you have any negative experiences when you were in medical school, you know, surrounding your identity? Uh, for me, not really. Actually, medical school was very open. I lived in a house with um, four other medical students and they were um, all queer. So we got along very well and we kind of found protection in each other. And we were kind of the lively, uplifting party house, if you will. Um, after every uh, exam, people would just come over and hang out. So we got along very well um, with our medical school. Um, but I didn't have any issues um, or discriminations in medical school, thank goodness, for sure. But in residency, I will say that there were little things that um, I would say more so body language. It wasn't anything that was outwardly said to me, but you can tell. You know, we're, I mean, being at a certain age, being queer, you you know when people are talking or saying things about you. So that happened in residency. But at a certain point, you're just like, okay, I'm going to be who I am. It doesn't matter. Keep living your life. But yes, I've experienced it. I still experience it sometimes, but you just keep going. Yeah, I'm wondering if either of you have any advice maybe for someone who is facing adversity and kidney disease at the same time or just facing, you know, discrimination for being who they are. So for me, adversity has been something that I've been living with since I've been born. You know, I was, wasn't supposed to be here. So I always tell um, people, take one day at a time and just think of the good things that you're living for and striving for, and everything else will come into fruition from there. You know, don't change who you are to fit someone else's box or bubble because when i i came out sophomore year of college and the moment i stopped trying to be someone else to be their friend is the moment when my true friends came around and they uplifted me and they helped me go get through adversity because the true ones will stay around because you are your authentic self so if you're trying to fit a box or a circle that someone else wants you to be in because you want to be their friends then you don't want to be their friend truly just be you and take it one step at a time and you'll get through adversity. Yeah. And, you know, control what you can control. And unfortunately, not everything you can control. Um, and, and you have to realize and understand that. But uh, as the good doctor said, you know, be who you are, be your authentic self. And if people don't appreciate that or want to affirm that, um, that's that's on them. 
that's not on you. Don't let that weigh you down. Don't let that drag you down. Uh, you continue to push through and uh, ultimately see that that kind of light at the end at the end of that tunnel. That's some great advice. So along that same vein, how can people advocate for themselves in a healthcare setting to get the treatment that they deserve, regardless of their gender or sex or sexual orientation? And what if we can start with you, Josh? Yes. So the first step is actually making that appointment, get into the doctor's office because it, your health, you are important. I have a lot of patients that come in and say, I, I haven't been able to come in because I've been taking care of my mom, my aunt, or my brother, or I don't have the money, or I just don't have the time. Your health is worth your time because without your health, you can't take care of anyone else or do anything else. So that's the first step. The second step is have a list of questions when you go to the doctor's office and be ready for anything that might come your way and ask more questions, ask for resources, um, ask for second opinions, ask for tests, educate yourself, look at your resources, and the internet is a beautiful thing. Try not to go down the route of WebMD too much to try to diagnose yourself. Um, I do think there is a role for physicians, uh, but definitely make sure you're prepared when you do go into that doctor's office and advocate for you because your health is important. Yeah, and you know, nobody can say it better than an actual medical provider. So I'm gonna co-sign and everything uh, the doctor just said. Uh, but also, if you don't feel like your needs are met, typically each and every state has an, a state office um, that is going to be able to assist you if you get into those kind of sticky situations, whether that is directly related to the provider itself, to the insurance uh, coverage or lack thereof. I mean, these systems were built to be difficult and not to generally help a human um, who, who doesn't have the means or doesn't have uh, the ability to simply uh, uh, help kind of guide their own way through the system. So. Don't ever feel as though you can't reach out to, to those various state agencies in your respective states. Uh, if that doesn't work, I mean, you can go to your local uh, elected leader and use them as a conduit for that. That's what we're here for. Uh, and if we're doing our job the way in which we all should, um, we set aside our own personal beliefs to ensure that people are, remain happy and healthy um, in whatever it is that they're working through. Absolutely. Yeah. I love hearing that, telling everyone, hey, there are resources, you can reach out, your representative, you know, they're there to help you. So we're kind of nearing the end, but is there anything else that either of you would like to talk about? Um, Josh, is there anything else regarding your study that you would like to talk about or your paper? Um, not really. We actually talked, um, touched a lot about it. Um, that percentage of 16% of discrimination, just it, it needs to change. I mean, that's just... I was that was absurd when I read those statistics. And I just every time I see one of my queer patients, I'm just kind of like, tell your friends, I try to give them a pamphlet discussing like the increased risks of health disparities that we as queer as the queer community have. And if we don't help each other, then no one else is. So we have to advocate for ourselves and do what we can for each other. Absolutely. Yeah, and on, on the advocacy side of that, I would say uh, speak with your respective legislators to see what kind of requirements are set forth in state statutes when it comes to the training our medical providers are receiving in our respective states. Uh, we have say in that. And so we can uh, require there to be additional studies, requirements, or continuing eds that these uh, medical providers have to uh, go through in order to better understand the needs of our community and to ensure that they are filling those 
Awesome. I'm, gonna, I'm not. Can I piggyback off of that, Jeff? Especially in the trans community, because I feel like yeah. that's a huge one. When I start talking to my colleagues, everyone starts. They don't understand the terminology or kind of how to react when someone comes in they're trans and have different medical issues than everyone else. So, with legislation, I just I'm, I'm curious what else can be done for that, or what's in the I don't know. What's happening with that, with trans rights? Yeah, and, and so each state will do that differently. And so like last year, we Connecticut was actually, uh, regardless of what everybody else says, the first state to pass the kind of safe state status for gender affirming care. And part of that was also including the additional uh, education for those going through the uh, our medical programs um, so that they were you know, building upon their terminology. Listen, like it's an evolution. And, and we just went through this the other day about updating anti-discrimination language in statute. It's somebody described it as a, per, per, uh, a perversion of the English language to which I got up and said, no, we are simply evolving something that we have done since the day we set for, like, foot on this planet. Uh, so, so that's what this is. And, and medical providers need to keep up with that also. They, you know, it, it, it should just be simply part of the curriculum. So that's what we're doing. Agreed. Yeah, um, I'm actually wondering if either of you could touch on the importance of gender affirming care. There's a lot of anger surrounding that and i'm wondering if you could just shed some light on what that actually means either of you go ahead jeff what that so not from a medical standpoint but you know gender affirming care uh you are insistent persistent and consistent on who you identify as and so if that is something that does not match who you currently are, we are going to welcome you into the state of Connecticut so that you can be seen by healthcare providers uh, and ensure that, that is, your voice is being heard, you're being listened to, uh, and that we are providing that, that life-saving healthcare. Healthcare, that's what this is. It is healthcare. And so we should have you know, an equitable access to healthcare for anyone who uh, sees that they, that they need that in order to uh, become who they are and who they've always known to be. Yes, and healthcare is definitely a right. <laughs> I mean, everyone deserves healthcare, no matter who you are. If you don't feel comfortable in your skin, then you should still have healthcare, no matter what. And like you were saying, like who you are, who you identify with. Um, the issue I've found in my studies is that if you, if your name is John Doe, and you are becoming Jane Doe, if that does not match with your chart your medical chart and you're going for an mri then that goes gets backed up in the insurance company and then the physician the nurse doesn't know what to do with that and then somehow some way jane doe gets lost in the system and gets forgotten about and that's ridiculous something needs to change in that and that's just a small portion of what happens that's just a small portion um so it, it, everyone deserves the right for care and we need to figure out what to do to, how to make that happen Absolutely. I will say talking with you both today has given me a lot of hope. Um, and I hope that all of our listeners also get that sense that there are people out here doing the work fighting for you. Um, so yeah, in closing, do either of you have anything else to say? We can start with Jeff. Uh, well, first, I just want to thank you for having us on and, and being able to talk about kidney health and, and how our lives have gone on and have been great and, and be doing amazing things to kind of better the communities uh, in which we both represent and live in. Uh, and for those listening, uh, just be you, do you, use that voice, use it often and use it loudly.
Yeah. Thank you so much. This is a great platform for us as the queer community to kind of talk and figure out what to do and the next step. And Jeff, I'd, I'd be really interested in anything that I can do to help advocate. And I'd love to get more information on, you know, just the legislation that's going on, not just Connecticut, but everywhere else. So I, the resources, that's very important. That's interesting. Very cool. Um, so thank you. I'd love to continue this conversation and keep spreading the word and keep going further. Absolutely. We'll most likely be in touch again. I know this is my second conversation with you, Josh, and I know, um, Jeff, you've been on the show before. So again, thank you for your continued work. And I look forward to the next time that we meet. Hopefully some more progress has been made in the queer community and legislation. We end each episode giving a shout out to a kidney patient who's celebrating a major milestone. In May of 2021, Sarah received a life-saving gift of kidney donation from a friend, Emma. Congratulations on two years kidney strong, Sarah. Wishing you many more. Thank you for listening. Do you have any questions? Email us directly with your comments and suggestions at nkfpodcasts@kidney.org. We hope you will join us next time. And from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.